Hey everyone, this episode of the Cloudcast is sponsored by PagerDuty. PagerDuty is the hub of your IT operations and ensures that the right folks are alerted at the right time to increase your uptime. PagerDuty's analytics help you identify common problems, allowing you to make system improvements before they impact your customers. Advanced filters and deduplication ensure that only actionable alerts get delivered. No more false alarms at 2 a.m. And now, multiple team members can seamlessly share on-call duty. To sign up for a free 14-day trial, visit pagerduty.com slash the cloudcast. And now, on to the show. Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to another episode of the Cloudcast. We're actually coming to you live from OpenStack Summit in Vancouver today. This one's going to be a little different than some of the others we've been doing lately. Uh, we are actually going to be talking about Open Compute today. And to do that, we've got Cole Crawford, CEO, founder of Vapor.io, and founding executive director of the Open Compute Project, and actually co-founder of OpenStack. How are you doing, Cole? Good, good. And thanks for having me on the show. This is great. Um, so first of all... Tell us a little bit about your background. I mean, it's really extensive when it comes to both open source hardware and software. Yeah, it's uh, you know it's weird. You, you kind of uh, you kind of start your career either north of the rack or south of the rack, and you tend to stay there, right? I mean, uh, the software developers generally don't turn into hardware guys, and hardware guys generally don't turn into software developers. But um, you know, I'm kind of an opportunist when it comes to. Uh, uh, where companies are doing the next uh, big thing, and uh, you know, in, in enterprise IT and in data centers and in uh, open source, uh, you know, I've I have traveled north and south of that rack many times, and uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's given me a, a pretty unique uh, uh, situational awareness around you know where the opportunities to innovate are and where the challenges have been for for IT and data center operators. Um, and we, uh, you know, we, we're, we're in a place now where uh, we need uh, hyperconvergence. We need uh, mindshare across the entire data center. If, if, the, if the world of private cloud and the world of on-premise is ever going to uh, compete with the economies of scale of the big guys, um, we've got some work to do on making IT simple to consume. Yeah, yeah. So um, the show tends to be, you know, certainly much more software-focused typically. So let's kind of start at the start. Um, what is the Open Compute Project, first of all? And then let's move into how, that, how you transition from there over to, to Vapor.io. Sure. So if you're familiar with OpenStack, and if you're familiar with the Linux Foundation and a bunch of, you know, the Apache Foundation, um, there's, there's principles. There's, there's these principles that open source affords the adopter and the developer. Um, and, you know, those principles have existed inside of software for a very long time. There's lots of past performance and great examples like the Linux operating system, like OpenStack, on why you should do something out in the open. Um, getting into those uh, those freedoms would, would probably require, or at least I could talk about them for far longer than this uh, entire talk should go. But, um, you know, if you're a fan of open source, then you pretty much know what those principles and those freedoms are. Um, and Open Compute was started... Uh, and it really kind of in 2010, but the foundation really didn't exist till till 2011. But uh, 
Facebook started this project, um, uh, the Open Compute Project, internally as Project Freedom. And Project Freedom really was striving towards these same freedoms inside of hardware. So removing this gratuitous differentiation out of something and offering that standard interface uh, in an easy-to-consume fashion. So it's really, uh, long story short, uh, uh, applying the, the, the fundamental open-source principles of software in hardware. And that's, yeah, that's effectively open compute. And uh, Vapor.io is really um, our extension of, of open compute. So we take open compute gear and we make it very easy to build uh, reference architectures for software on extremely efficient hardware. Yep, yep. So the company itself, Vapor.io, is described as the first hyper-converged and truly data-defined data center solution. What's the translation on that? Yeah, so, you know, it's funny. You hear a lot about uh, software-defined data centers today. In fact, um, I give credit to a guy named Steve Herod, uh, who at the time was at, at VMware, when he first mentioned the, the, the software-defined data center. Um, it, that, that term was later trademarked by, by somebody else. But uh, um, Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, it's trademarked. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, yeah oh, it's wow. trademarked. Okay. Um, cool. It, it, yeah, uh, but I, another neither, story for another day. Another story, and, and a couple beers. Day, yeah, um, <laughs> but uh, but you know, I actually don't even love the term software-defined data center because things like sensors and data center sensorification are not software; mm-hmm. it's data, right? So we prefer the term data-defined. Uh, but effectively, what that means if if you're going to have a software-defined data center, or you're going to have what we like to call a data-defined data center. Sure, talking to the servers in the rack, great place to start. But you need to go south of the rack. We need to be looking at sensors. We need to be looking at BSMs. We need to be looking at all of the things that empower the rack to exist. Um, and by uh, by offering up a very efficient um, data center solution physically and then offering up uh, a very intelligent horizontal capability, we can now start making really intelligent choices about where our workload should live in context of not just a single data center, but lots of data centers. So as we talk about the disaggregated rack, we want to move that conversation beyond the disaggregated rack into the disaggregated data center. Sure. And so for a smaller company, you have some pretty large conceptual offerings, right? There's the idea of common hardware, there's rack level provisioning, there's a unique uh, new rack model. Just just how ambitious is all of this? You know, they say go big or go home, right? <laughs> um, you know, first off, I guess the reason we did what we did, um, not many people know where the 19-inch rack came from. And it doesn't matter if it's 19 or 21 because, you know, open computer uses a 21-inch rack. But uh, most people don't know that the 19-inch rack that we all use in our data centers as the standard, you know, rack, uh, EIA rack for 98% of all racks everywhere came out of the railroad switching era. It was literally <laughs> railroad switching. And, uh, in oh, this, I always thought it was telcos. No, no. no telcos thing, adopted yeah. it later. Sure. Um, and in fact, even during the dot-com boom, when we were putting hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of computers on shelves that we were building from Home Depot, the music industry was happily recording demos and albums on 19-inch rack-mounted gear. So um, if we you – know, and that kind of seems like a, a, a cart before the horse problem, right? We, we just – 
we had something commodity and we adopted that commodity and we built around it. Well, if we were to start backwards and look at thermodynamics and we started building a data center based on thermodynamics, you would quickly come to the realization that um, air moves identically to water. So in thermodynamics, uh, we all know that heat rises and it rises really naturally. So why not use uh, the, you know, the principles of physics and physics aren't just a good idea they're the law um, <laughs> uh, let's use those principles to our benefit and let's build a hyper efficient you know very easy to build data center that contains the hot aisle and contains that hot air and then gives it uh, gives it the, uh, the the natural um, the natural direction to flow into um, and there's a there's a good analogy you can do this at home you can do this wherever but if you take um, a small cup and you put it, a little bit of water in there and you try and evacuate that water with a straw by, by blowing water, you know, blowing air into the water, you're not going to evacuate all the water, right? You're going to blow a lot of bubbles. Um, but if we use straws the way they're intended to be used, you eliminate what's called head pressure. And it's very easy to evacuate that water. And we work on that exact same principle. So we, we, we work uh, backwards from... You know, how should air flow in a data center and how do we eliminate a lot of the CapEx investment that people are paying into their data centers today? Because the fact is uh, people are still paying 10 to $12 million per megawatt to build a greenfield data center today. And that does not compete with public cloud. The economies of cloud, um, no one wants to build a data center today when they can go throw their uh, infrastructure into a managed hosting environment or into a public cloud. But the reality is, we like to park our own cars in our own garages. We like to hold on to the things that are ours. So if we can turn the economics of, of adopting cloud technologies um, and greenfield data center technologies back in favor of the customer that owns that data, we think we've done something good. But when you do that, you also need to allow that uh, customer to be able to manage that infrastructure in a really efficient way. And being sort of... Um, sort of always on the, the cusp of the next uh, big thing, um, the hyperscale guys have, they all have wonderful architectures for how to do uh, distributed computing. Well, that left a huge hole in the way that you do out-of-band management or in, you know, infrastructure management today. And the way we do this is, is you know, through cabling a separate one-gig NIC and buying BMCs and cabling those BMCs, and that ends up you know, with a high-touch, high-cost environment as well um, that oftentimes is no more than a VLAN tied to, right, the, yeah. the other network. So um, there's, a, there's a better way to do that, and it's, you know, IPMI was a, was a, a technology of the 90s. Um, we should be talking to our rack infrastructure through APIs, through RESTful APIs, not through high-touch, high-cost interfaces. Um, the reality... I think for us is we view infrastructure more like cattle and less like pets. Yeah. And what's interesting is we've been talking a lot on the podcast lately um, and we had lunch together today where, you know, I was telling you a little bit about Cloud Foundry Summit and then we were talking about kind of gear and, you know, hard, hardware in general. And what was interesting uh, is I was kind of thinking about it on the way up here. Um, we talk a lot about microservices. We talk a lot about 12-factor apps. We talk a lot about cloud-native applications. And then you go look, and you go look at Google's data center. You go look at Facebook data center. You know, they're not running the, the Cisco UCSs of the world, this, you know, very stateful, very purposeful hardware that 
isn't necessarily, you know, is designed maybe for those older apps where you kind of set a state and forget it kind of thing. And is definitely more pets than cattle yes. for hardware. Yes. And, and so that I was thinking on the way up here, I'm like, oh, okay. So this is really almost like completes the stack rate right? of like, if you at the top level embrace cloud native and actually do everything, follow Heroku's 12 factor apps and work all the way down the, the stateful, you know, API uh, at the bottom is, is almost a must have at that point or, or a next evolution, if you will. I completely agree. I mean, it, you know, at lunch, we were talking a little bit about uh, uh, cloud foundry uh, plugging in the OSS tools from Netflix mm-hmm. and Netflix, you know, one of the things that, uh, uh, that they really pioneered was this sort of, or at least they made it uh, um, popular, was this whole design to fail philosophy. So it's our, it, you know, it's the same philosophy we have. Uh, in fact, I'm, I'm writing, I'm doing a, a, a keynote in Monaco at Data Cloud Congress, ten days or something. Um, have you started on it? No. Okay. Uh, just, just, you know, <laughs> just the basic just the title. You know, just the title. And I'll, I'll kind of hint uh, here. There, there's a, a very famous war general, George S. Patton, right? And George S. Patton was famously quoted as saying, fixed fortifications are a monument to the stupidity of man. And by building fault tolerance inside of one building with hundreds and hundreds of megawatts, okay, I mean, I get it. Like, I, you know, certainly that's one way to do it. But... Our philosophy is that every data center should be a tier zero data center, and you should put your applications in those data centers, as at least the tier zero applications that are designed to fail on designed to fail hardware and designed to fail data centers that build that redundancy horizontally and not vertically, eliminate that, that, that CapEx investment. The reality is the, the CapEx, even, even for a UCS or a, a, you know, a, a big Dell tier one environment, the CapEx investment to that infrastructure is uh, pennies on the dollar compared to the TCO for power and cooling yep. over the life of a data center. Um, so the, the, the points, right, the, the sales points that companies are getting on this hardware is really kind of a race to zero. Sure. We're trying to differentiate in different places, and I think we should be following the principles of OpenStack – um, where you've got sort of that last mile lock-in capability. I, I think standardizing on interfaces and differentiating on service is exactly what we should be doing. Um, and to that end, we, you know, the, 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 the out-of-band management um, contribution that we've made, both from the hardware perspective, which we've given to the Open Compute Project, and the software, uh, which is the OpenMist operating system that, we, uh, that we're contributing under the GPL license, we want to give people that 80% interface, very much like, like OpenStack has done to, to the cloud world. Um, that seems like a much more sane approach than locking you into a, a high-touch protocol that's forcing you to buy some, some hardware that's, you know, um, has a 60 70% markup on it. Sure, sure. Yeah, and so let's talk about some of the kind of core pieces, right? Like, so break that down a little bit for me. What exactly is that? What's the benefit? Why would you use it? Yeah. Um, so we kind of talked about probably, the, you know, it's pretty new. And so I, I doubt most people it is extremely new. Know, fact, know much about it, right? We just launched the operating system. I mean, we just literally, uh, days ago launched the, the open mist OS. Um, and yeah, I mean, on, on the, on the hardware front, we think we've got an amazing story to tell around easy to consume open computes and, and reference architectures for, uh, workloads that are designed to be run horizontally. But once you have that, and you've got these distributed data centers running around, what do you do? 
Well, we wanted to give that same capability to the software world. So, in fact, here at, at the OpenStack conference, you can now go over to the StackStorm booth or the Stack Velocity booth, and you can see our open source contribution working directly with their environments. And we can actually, for the first time, going back to the data-driven data center, um, there are demos where you can watch a thermistor, which is just a, a, you know, a temperature, right? Uh, we can take a thermistor, which uh, plugs directly into our open source board. Um, our board uh, will then uh, present an API that has uh, the ability for anybody not just Zackstorm, but anybody that's doing anything in context of workload migrations or workload automa uh, uh, automation or orchestration, they can hit that. They can validate a constraint has been hit or a threshold has been hit. Uh, and so through this thermistor scenario, let's assume that we're, we're, uh, we're simulating a power supply failure. So heat rises, right? I mean, the, the heat, the temperature rises on this thermistor. Um, we we detect that uh, there's a there's a fault, and we can live migrate an OpenStack instance off of that failing hardware onto healthy hardware. You know, send a, a data center ticket, um, and then shut down the old hardware all over JSON, all mm -hmm. over an API, which sure. is the first time I've ever seen a a critically environment assisted live migration. And we do this for OpenStack. We can do this for Docker. We can do this for CoreOS. Um, I you know I think I've told you before. Uh, we like to bet on tracks, not horses. Mm -hmm. And the data center is the track. Yep. Right. Everything that goes in the data center is yep. a horse. Yeah. And so to and to go to kind of okay, you go from the, the Mist OS. Is it Open Mist or Mist? Open Mist OS. Open Mist. Open Mist OS to the Open DCRE, the data center runtime environment. Mm. Right. And is that is that where they connect? Is that kind of the bridge, if you will? And and because of the when I kind of was reading everything, it looks like like. It's almost like just open BMC, right? And for those that are, aren't familiar with, you know, you know, board management controller, right? Right, right. Um, is that how we make that bridge? It is. So, so the uh, the operating system sits actually today. It sits on a Raspberry Pi. So we've done some really interesting work around uh, GPIO enabled hat, which is hardware attached on top. Um, so the, today. Um, the controller, the, 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 the single board controller is our interface for the operating system. And then our open source board on top of that really does act like a BMC, right? I wouldn't call it necessarily a, a BMC, but it certainly offers you the same capabilities of a BMC um, in that you can do remote power on, remote power off. But the interesting thing about you know, what we're doing is on that same board, you can now orchestrate entire racks. You can now orchestrate entire workloads based on what you're seeing south of the rack or in the rack because we have direct access you know, to, the, to the rack itself. Um, and that's really where you have sort of the combination of uh, this, this open source hardware, which we've given to Open Compute, and this open source software, which we've, we're giving away as GPL, um, and then Vapor Core, which exists on top of uh, OpenDCRE and OpenMistOS, we then add this whole data center certification and big data analytics platform where you can start um, making intelligent historical-based decisions on uh, performance efficiency um, in context of the workload. So instead of this crazy metric that we use today called PUE, uh, which you know we can plug in a hair dryer into a PDU and measure PUE. Right. Um, <laughs> offering the ability to take a, uh, a 
and a web server transaction log or a database transaction log or a URL loaded or an ad served, put that in context of uh, the power that's being transformed from the grid to the rack, uh, we can give you performance per watt per dollar, uh, which okay. is a much cooler metric. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, that, that goes into yeah. We we talked to this is, goes way back, but we talked to um, the cloudability folks way back when, and it was really the conversation wasn't necessarily around what they're doing as much as it were just a new way to kind of do metrics going forward. So it reminds me a lot of that. Um, I just want to talk real quickly. So you mentioned Vapor Core. Um, it almost seems to me like okay, if I break down what that is, it, it it's almost like RAID and storage meets. Networking meets scheduling, kind of all mashed together with a whole bunch of APIs to higher level services. Is that? Am I reading that correctly? Is that yeah. oversimplifying it? No, uh, no. I, you know, it may be that it turns out that, of course, the API today is is limited in scope to the the sensor data and out of band management, but it's certainly. Our vision, right, the philosophy for Vapor is to effectively give you the single pane of glass that allows you to look at data sovereignty, to look at network quality assurance, to look at bandwidth, to look at, um, you know, how much object storage I have or I need across all of your data centers. And if you are paying, you know, X amount of uh, cost per square foot in this data center or cost per kilowatt hour in this data center, and you've got the exact same capabilities in another data center and the you know NVGRE tunnel or the MPLS circuit between the two, why not just automatically move your workloads to where you're going to be spending less on them? Um, we talk a lot about optimum environments where optimum can be in performant or efficient or you know whatever optimum means. Um, and does that mean the API needs to be extensible? Absolutely. Sure. Are we the guys to write every uh, interface for that API? Probably not. In mm-hmm. fact, it's my goal that we don't end up doing that. Um, so our goal is to invite people to come work with us on this API, extend it, and you know, let's build a robust data-driven data center together. Yeah, cool. And so we're running out of time here. So just real, real briefly, what, what is Vapor Chamber? The, the the chamber is the the physical. Um, I think you called it the green egg. Yeah, the big green egg, right? <laughs> um, so the, the the chamber is really our way of saying, you know, data centers are expensive. Um, infrastructure is uh, should be commodity. Let's treat our data centers and the servers that go in them more like uh, a vending machine and the coke cans that go in them. That's sort of the chamber. Yeah. No, that makes sense. That's perfect. So, okay, we're out of time for this week. So, Cole, where can everyone find out more about you, what you have going on with Vapor.io? Just check out www.vapor.io. Everything we do is up there. Awesome. Thank you very much. And so, everyone, you can follow us on Twitter at thecloudcastnet, or you can reach us on the web at thecloudcast.net, where you can find links to the show, our YouTube channel, uh, or everything else we have going on. So thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs>